1: welcome welcome back to boss uncaged podcast so today we have hildy hildy and i have been in the same networking group for i don't know roughly about a year or so give or take a couple months couple days couple hours but you know come to find out we're both um you know kind of native to new york we both kind of have the passion and desire for branding so obviously I'm going to name her the swag boss because she's earned that title 100% through and as we talk about what she does and who she is you'll see why I'm calling her that so Hilde the floor is yours why you tell the audience a little bit more about you and what are we talking about today
0: Oh, I always say I'm a recovering New Yorker, and I don't know. I think you go to your dying death once you were born and raised in New York, it's all of a sudden, it's just in your blood. You you can't get rid of it, no matter, even if you get an infusion, it's still going to be New York. Uh, I've been doing swag for about 20 years, and the funny thing is, is that I owned a health food restaurant 21, 22 years ago, which is probably why my husband fell in love with me, And um, when the restaurant didn't survive, because 22 years ago in the suburbs of Atlanta, nobody cared about health food. So it lasted about nine months. And the chick who had sold me my embroidered apron said, come, come work for me. I'll teach you the business. And she taught me. It ended up ending our friendship because it didn't mix our business and pleasure um, but I've been doing this ever since, and I've I've grown grown myself a pretty good book of business. And I think part of it is because I'm super creative, and I think the other is I won't let people waste their money. I, I'm like, no, you're not buying that. I'm not letting you buy that. If you want to buy that, buy it from someone else. And so people kind of like me bullying them.
1: Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, let's, let's talk about that. I, I want I want to time travel back because obviously I grew up in New York, right? And when you grew up in New York, it kind of gives you a different edge, a different, different level of, of like swag, <laughs> to say the least, right? So do you think part of your upbringing is why you're so direct and upfront right now with not allowing that particular person to spend that money?
0: I think it's teaching myself to be confident in what I do is what has told me as kind as I can to not let people waste their money. Mm -hmm. And I would say my New York upbringing and maybe not necessarily New York, but maybe my parents, I always say that I feel like I have wonder woman's golden lasso around me where I'm always compelled to tell the truth. Like I won't hurt people's feelings, but honesty is definitely one of my top five words for when that question comes up. Cool, cool.
1: So let's just let's just stay on this time travel, right? So, like, what was it like growing up in New York? I mean, you you lived on the island, like it was more so Long Island, or like what borough did you live on?
0: So I was born in Muncie, and um, when it became religious, my parents lifted us up and took us out. Um, I'm Jewish, but that became an ultra, ultra Orthodox area. We went to New Jersey. I lived in Livingston for a couple of years. And those of you who are listening that are in the Jersey area, I lived there before the Willowbrook Mall was built. So that's going to let everybody know how old I am. Then we moved to Long Island, a town called Dix Hills. And I was in high school with Ralph Macchio, who's just written a book. So he's all over right now. Um, But I've got pictures of us both doing theater together. And then I went to NYU Film School, which is where I do believe I gifted my creativity. I think all the classes that I took in the film school with Spike Lee at the time um, really helped me understand how creativity is key. And that's what I took away from film school. I didn't take away much else than that. But yeah, I'm more creative than most people who do what I do.
1: So I mean, I think you brought up a solid point about about film school. So that kind of leads me to like the next question is like, you had a particular niche when you came out of film school and you kind of dove into like the garment district. And those that don't know New York, I mean, there's garment districts and it's kind of like, it's not like going to the mall. It's not like going to an outlet. I mean, you're talking about streets and back alleys of silk and materials and, and jewelry, everything that you could ever possibly think about putting together to make some garments. So I want you to talk about how did that influence you as well?
0: So what happened was that after getting three great jobs in the film business and I'm even talking about I worked on the movie Birdie directed by Alan Cage starring Nick no, Alan Parker starring Nicolas Cage and Matthew Modine and let's without going into too much detail say this is before Anita Hill and sexual harassment was huge so I realized that maybe I wasn't a good fit for the film industry, and I knew someone in the garment center, so I got some really good jobs there and never had to deal with any any inappropriateness. But as one of my um, elementary school friends' dad always said to me, Hildy could get herself in any door she wanted, and she got herself kicked out just as quick. And that would happen to me a lot in my twenties, where I would just get any job I wanted, but I get fired just as quick. And you know, I look back on that and i definitely see that i didn't have my act together when i was in my 20s um definitely part of my my parents and my siblings and I just always, I was a middle child. I had huge middle child syndrome. And so getting into the Garmin Center, I remember there was one company I worked for. It was like a jean company. And I hit it off so well with the buyer from Saks Fifth Avenue that she used to chain smoke her skinny cigarettes and let me show her the line. And she would buy everything from me. And this was not a Saks Fifth Avenue jean appropriate line, but she adored me so much. She let me sell to Saks.
1: That's definitely interesting. So, I mean, kind of like talking about your story, I mean, obviously you have the film, you have the creative and and you got into like textiles. So you understand all those different things, but then where does the, like the whole food and I know you're a big foodie, you're a traveler. Like where did that come into the equation to say, okay, now I'm going to move to Atlanta. I'm going to get married and I'm going to start a a health restaurant of all things.
0: (laughs) So when I was at college, my dad insisted that I have a job. So I started out, I think I hosted, I waitressed, I bartended, um, and I loved the whole idea of, I got to eat for free and in really great restaurants, um, Just there was a restaurant in the in the New York Daily News building called Extra Extra. And I was a bartender there. And there used to be a like a trendy nightclub bar called uh, Bonnie, Bonnie something, not Bonnie do Bonnie something where we were known for liquor based milkshakes. And a lot of celebrities, I remember Jack Nicholson was there. And I definitely ran into a bunch of celebrities in my New York City adventures. But I just always loved the food thing so much so that I inspired my younger brother, who ended up being the manager at Tavern on the Green. And he's like a big food influencer now in Denver. But for me, food was just always um, a way for me to earn quick cash. So when I um, moved to Atlanta, I didn't get married right away. Um, And my first job in Atlanta was Joey D's Oak Room, which is still there. And I still eat there. It's still just as good as it was when I worked there. And um, I think somebody came up. I heard through the grapevine that someone was trying to sell their at home business called Secret Garden Gourmet. And I think he i paid 500 bucks it came with a fridge and a freezer which are still in my garage that I use and he was a vegan which back then what the heck was a vegan but his concept was to make soups and sandwiches and go to people around Atlanta that couldn't ever leave their office so hairdressers and their clients and um, people in the in the um, stock market they could never leave so and you couldn't get food delivered except maybe pizza and Chinese food so I would go with these two huge baskets of food that i made at four o'clock in the morning and just go desk to desk or hair salon to hair salon selling food and that's how it started and then i opened up the restaurant called secret garden gourmet
1: i mean it's just it's it's phenomenal like hearing hearing the story like like how how you went from one thing to another thing but like there the the the, like there's similarities in, in what you're talking about i mean obviously like the textures, the colors, the aromas, the flavors, all these different things kind of goes back to you being a creative person, right? So like, let's fast forward a little bit. Now you're into swag. So I want you to kind of define swag because I think some people may think swag is not only the element of someone carrying and delivering their representation of who they are. It may be a hat, it may be a shirt, but you're you're, you're on a level of swag that's is a little bit more defined than that.
0: Yes, so swag is the current trendy word for it a hundred plus years ago when the industry started it was called ad specialties and then in the last let's say 50 years, people called it promotional products. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, I'd say most of the people I work with call, say I sell promotional products. But to me, that's just not current and it's too many syllables. So I just narrow it down to swag or Hildy swag because I want people to connect swag and me. Um, when you get into the word merch, then there's a lot of gray area. Um, for example, your head to toe merch mm-hmm. while it is what I do it really isn't what I do because I don't do one-offs and two-offs mm-hmm. so my wheelhouse is just more higher end and the clients who come to me they they're I don't really want to hear them say can you get it from cheaper I'll just say to them no No, I'm going to make a decent markup, but I'm going to sample you to death. I'm going to customer service you to death. I'm going to make sure these things happen when they need it, where they need it, how they need it. And that's what I do. But for more money than the average person that does what I do. And I'm okay with that.
1: Well, so this is this, 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 this unpack that a little bit, right? So again, you're talking about merch, you're talking about merchandising, you're talking about products, you're talking about swag, but... To your point about like, it's not just about the quality, it's also about the quantity. Like you say, you, you don't do one offs. So, ideally, right? Are, wh- who is the customer that would come to you and like, how many products are they essentially buying?
0: So, ideally, the client, it could be just one thing, but that one thing is going to be a Tumi suitcase that they need branded for 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. Or these days, the portable um, personal fire pits right? It's around 300 bucks, but I can get one. Mm. That's okay. But at the end of the day, if I sell, let's say, cleaning cloths, and the total of the order is $100, I'll make $3. And it'll take me three hours to do. Mm. So since I got to pay my mortgage, I always decided that I just tell people, if it's not at least $1,000, you're going to have to go somewhere else. I'll give you advice for free all day long. I love sharing my creative juices, but I won't share my time more than some verbal, here, here are my top three things or send you links. Now go online, find whomever, and buy it from them because I won't take more than a few minutes to help.
1: Got it. Got it. So, I mean, based on the numbers you just said, it sounds like you're at like a 3% conversion, right? So I want to talk about like you are at the top 5% in 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 company that what you're doing. So like, like let's talk about numbers, and we don't have to like reveal real numbers, but hypothetically speaking, like what what are we looking at? I mean, what does that really mean? as a tangible representation of what that top five percent means for you?
0: So most people who do what I do, and we're like cockroaches, there are gajillions of us, but most people who do what I do sell under five hundred thousand dollars a year. Okay, and and they're happy with that most people are making before taxes probably around 15 to 20% of their sales okay last year i did 1.4 million this year i'm over a million next year i'm not sure it's possible i'm going to lose a big account so i'm always looking for the new perfect fit for me and and it's 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 more than just having a marketing department and 25 employees mm-hmm. sometimes it can be Just I got to feel you. I got to adore you. Like Essay, if you were in charge of marketing, you and I would be laughing all the way to enjoying what we do because we get it. We get it. And so at this point, I'm just super picky about who I'm going to spend my time with. You know, there's very few minutes in the day Mm -hmm. and I want delicious human beings around me. Even if that's who I'm selling to, I can pick and choose.
1: Nice. So she's, she was tasty humans not to mean that she's a cannibal. Okay. So she, she's just like <laughs> good, good sense of humor, smart asses around her all the time. Got so you, you dropped, you dropped the number, you would say like 1.4. So is that essentially the, how many products that you sold at that quantity? Or is that like the net that you actually took home?
0: 1.4 million dollars is what is detailed in my sales for last year. Nice. Sales. So that's gross sales. And as I said, most people make between 15 to 20% of their gross sales before taxes.
1: So, I mean, this is, this is like one of those niches that, you know, I think people kind of overlook, like, They don't really think that there's particularly money to be made in here, but obviously you're you're being very transparent. You're saying that there's there's money to be made in here. You just have to figure out the right clients, and much like you, have be fearless in finding the right type of clients that you want to deal with. You want to deal with people that not only understand what you're doing, but you could pretty much go have a beer with them. It sounds like
0: for me, a lot of people don't care about those things, but I do. And I'll tell you something else that's interesting. For some reason or another, most of the people who do what I do are old. I don't understand why people coming out of college aren't jumping on this. I can work anywhere I want in the world. I take one month vacations. Do I have to open up my laptop every day? Yeah, I do, but only for an hour or two. I don't understand why people coming out of college who know they're good at sales and they love creativity don't do what I do. I don't get it. Now, I will say there's not exactly a class you can take in college, and my industry isn't the best at training. There's like something called Promo Kitchen, but like even my company that I work for, Geiger, they don't have a training department. So it's either someone like me who decides to mentor and it's not a multi-level marketing. So if I mentor someone, I'm not getting anything from it. Nothing. Just here's here's my time. I'm teaching you good luck. Enjoy yourself. And then those people have to go out and find their own clients. But yeah, you tell me, SA. why aren't 20-somethings that are into marketing doing what I'm doing? I don't get it.
1: Well, I think one is kind of like what you said, it's, it's, it's not a dying industry, but the people in the industry are dying. So, again, if my great grandmother or my grandmother is working something, I probably don't want to do it. Right. That's the first thing. Right. And then the second okay. thing is kind of like the younger generation, they don't look at merch or promotional items the same. Right. They kind of look at Instagram and see an Instagram influencer showcasing something. But they don't realize like that thing that they're showcasing potentially is coming from you. (laughs) Correct. Coming from you. So it it goes down to education. And to your point, there's no degree or education in in this terminology to understand it. It's kind of like people have to kind of figure it out on their own or somebody has to create a course or broadcast it or syndicate it to talk about it for people to understand that this exists.
0: Yeah. Uh, I've decided I'm definitely going to start talking about this on podcasts because there's got to be somebody listening who's about to graduate and they know that they want to be in marketing, but they just, whatever it is, they're not feeling it. They should reach out. And again, I'm not, I'm not hiring anybody. I'm not looking to sell anybody, but it is a huge market. Every company out there needs swag, everybody, whether it's for, Uh, job fairs, whether it's to retain employees, whether it's gifts for clients, gifts for employees, thank you, happy birthday. Everyone uses swag in one way or another. So even your friends, your family, you could start there, right? So I'm graduating college. uh, I'm working at Starbucks just so I have some income on the side. Start learning the business from someone like me, because everybody's got a Hildy in their life. Mm. And before you know it, it can be a full-time job with the perks of being able to work anywhere in the world.
1: So let's, let's talk about that business structure, right? I mean, obviously is it more set up like a ten ninety nine? Are you essentially mm-hmm. an employee that picks your own time schedule? Like, like how is that structured? I mean, who, who do, who's paying for the taxes? This is pretty much the question boils down to, right?
0: Yeah. I pay my taxes. So every paycheck I hold back 30% mm-hmm. every paycheck and I contact my accountant and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Like, I think, Right now, I'm ready to send $30,000 into the IRS because I don't want to pay late fees. And I know I got to pay it, so I might as well just pay it. But um, there are competitors out there that, um, and that's the thing, there's some big players. So Geiger's a big player. Halo's a big player. There's a few others. Um, and then when you get into the smallers, like let's say 4imprint, uh-huh. they're hiring minimum wage people who are order takers. Uh-huh. So you call up, you say you want a widget, and they order you the widget. They're not going to tell you, oh, that widget's going to fall apart. Oh, that widget isn't going to arrive in time. You want it, they'll order it, move on. And those are the opposite of 1099. They're just hourly employees.
1: Wow, wow. So that kind of leads me to, I mean, obviously you've been in networking, right? We're in a networking group together right now. Currently you have also worked in s- several other different networking environments, but I think the one that you probably, and again, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the one that you like the most is when you have a phone in your hand and you're running around looking for Pokemon. <laughs> so we playing
0: Mahjong. On. Excuse me. Every Thursday night I play Mahjong and I teach okay. Mahjong and Canasta. I like Canasta. And now that my son is at K- KSU. Uh, my husband and I picked up golf again. So every weekend we're golfing, which is really nice.
1: Okay. So, so you got other streams of networking, but I want you to kind of talk to like, how did you even get into Pokemon Go? And how does that uh, like get you new clients? Because from a conceptual standpoint, I get it. But from like like a layman standpoint, like how the hell does Pokemon Go equal capital? Like that shit doesn't acute <laughs> So let's talk about that.
0: <laughs> okay. So just like people say they go to church and they're they're building relationships and they're getting business from their church co- 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 what do you call them church friends mm-hmm. it's kind of the same idea although when you say pokemon you think children and i think initially it did start out as a children's game and a children's tv show and i even still um i can see the pokemon go cards in places But in, I think it was 2012, they came out with the smartphone version. Initially, I started playing it because it was something I could do with my little boy. And after a few months, and he realized if mom is playing this, I can't play this. That's not cool. He gave up his account. Thus, I now have, see this. I now have two screens going at all times because I've got two phones always playing Pokemon. And what has happened now in the world of Pokemon, the game on the phone, is it's all the geniuses in the world. And I'm not even kidding. I have a group, I think there's now 10 of us women. We're all 40 years and older. One is the CEO of a Georgia Tech science company, one is a surgeon, one's a lawyer, one's a professor. Uh, one is the wife of like the ce just retired CEO of a giant company that I won't mention because I don't want people Googling it. But wh- why? Why are these women who have like real lives doing it? Because there's something about the game mm-hmm. that just makes you chill and do something that's fun. Then I've got a whole nother group of friends that are all geeky men that creates Pokemon spreadsheets and they love the algorithms and they're making sure that every one of their Pokemon is to the spec. Perfect. And so the more people I meet, the more I realize I'm stupid because these people I'm telling you, they're geniuses with master's degrees and so, uh, uh. Hmm. so because of that, and because they think of me as a Pokemon expert i once in a like even yesterday, I think I said, I'm looking for new referrals and everybody in the women's group is like, tell us who you want to meet, we'll hook you up.
1: <laughs> I, I just, I'm just sitting here listening and it's kind of like you, you go to school, some people go to school for MBAs, they get all these damn like PhDs in business and marketing and strategy. And you're, you're sitting here playing fucking Pokemon Go, and you're converting left and right. It's it's like, it's so crazy. That is ingenious it it, it is so simple as well too and you're having fun while doing it which is crazy so it kind of leads me to like we talked about you being a creative person talked about you being a film person you're into textiles you're obviously into gaming if you could choose three to five words to define you which of those three to five would would you choose
0: (sighs) okay well i told you honesty for sure um unique creative that was an obvious one here's one that you probably didn't think of polarizing people either love me or they hate me and loving
1: i can definitely see that so that that, the the polarizing right it leads me to, to another question like like you said before, if someone says, I want this, and you're, you're going to say, hell no, you don't need to get this because you're wasting your money, you may be dealing with someone that may bark back and you end up getting into this, this, this head bumping. So without naming names, I want you to talk about like the worst case example that you've dealt with, with someone that has, has equal, let's say, bravado that you bring to the table when you're saying no and they're saying yes. How did that work out for you? I mean, like, how do you move on from that situation?
0: So most of the time, I'll say, you can do what you want, but here's the expert's opinion. Uh. And then sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Uh, I will say, though, that I recently had to block a client. Like, I I don't want to hear from them again, because they created a logo without checking with me. It's a horrible logo for embroidery. And they didn't like it when I said, that's not going to embroider well. So I gave them two free um, pieces of clothing. I think it was a jacket and like a pullover uh, with the logo heat transferred. They never said thank you. Since then, they've asked me for some samples. They haven't placed an order. And then whenever they're in a rush, they call me and I don't get the orders. So he did that last week. I didn't reply. I just blocked him on any platform I could because there's only so much I can give before I'm like done.
1: Hmm. So, I mean, that kind of leads me. I mean, obviously like your business is potentially set up like, I guess, a LLC or a, a solar solopreneurship. So like with your partner, with, with Geiger, like how does that that work? Do you ever bump heads with that? Because I again, mean, like you said, it's not a, a multi-level marketing situation, but a lot of times with these corporations that are feeding or giving you part of the product that you're selling, they may have restrictions or hurdles to overcome. So have you ever dealt with corporate in that way? Have you ever bumped heads with, with the mother company?
0: Not really, but there are some interesting th- rules that they have. So for example, because it's a privately owned family company. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the decisions they made was they're not selling anything cannabis related, nothing, nothing, not even to hold the cannabis. I'm And it's okay with that. While the cannabis industry is exploding nationwide and they all need tons of swag, I just stay away from it. Mm. There was this one item a couple of years ago that was really popular. You stuck it in your phone and it became a fan to cool you down. Mm. But um, our legal department had heard or witnessed so many phones being blown up by it that Mm. they flat out won't let us sell it. Never have, never will. There's a million other products to sell yeah. if that's what they're saying. I'm good with that. I kind of like rules, and um, Geiger uh, gives me a heck of a lot more positives than negatives. I can hardly think of any negatives. I really, I've worked for a company a few companies before Geiger. I was very picky when I decided to move my business to Geiger, and I love the fit. I just love it. It's perfect, it's big, uh, but family. I could call the president right now, get her on the phone. She would say hello to you. That's pretty cool. That's not usually a big multi-million dollar company culture. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Definitely very, very interesting. And I mean, to your point, I think it's because it's privately held, right? I mean, obviously if they had shareholders to answer to, I think the culture would definitely drastically change. Possibly. to they say the least. So l- let's talk about like, like obviously like you've been on this journey for a period of time, right? And you are where you are because of, of the history that that you went through and the things that you learned. But if, if there's somewhere in your time, right? Let's say in the last 20, 30 years, if you can go back and change something, again, what would you change and why would you change something if you can go back and do it?
0: Um. So there's, I think there's only one thing that I think back on with regret. And that is when I was in Manhattan, I lived in a tiny apartment and um, uh, my grandmother, which in Yiddish is Bubby. So my Bubby lived in Florida and I was so not together mentally, like I just didn't have my act together that I think I got fired from my job. My boyfriend broke up with me. I was in huge financial debt. And so I called my bubby and told her I was going to kill myself. Mm. Like, I wish I had never done that because I can't ever take away that pain. Right. And I did. I did try to kill myself twice. I ended up in a mental hospital twice. And I talk about it all the time because I think if you don't fucking talk about it, people can't heal. Mm. The difference between me and Everyone I met at the hospital was everyone at the hospital needed medication in order to not feel suicidal. Mine was more what I call episodal was too many broke up with my boyfriend credit card debt got fired from my job. I want an easy way out. Let me take this bottle of pills. Now I realize that it's not because I've tried all the meds and none of the meds worked for me. Why? Because I don't have a chemical problem. I had an episode problem. So now when I, I can kind of feel myself, oh my God, all these bad things are happening. Then I just remember, I remember my past. I know that whatever I'm feeling right now will go away tomorrow and I'm fine. I have never, I haven't felt suicidal since I was in my 20s.
1: So I mean, I definitely appreciate you being that open and honest and sharing that. So does that feed into where you are with your level of success? I mean, obviously, you're ambitious, you're competitive. Do you then take the negative energy and turn it into that positive result?
0: I don't really have negative energy anymore. Um, I mean, my therapist will tell me that if you think negative, everything negative will happen. If you focus on positive and kind of request positive, positive will happen. So that's what I'm doing now. A lot more when I, when I'm nervous about something, instead of focusing on the worst that will happen, I focus on the best that will happen.
1: So this is go back to like your upbringing, like, like, Are you coming from an entrepreneurial background? Did you kind of see like your parents or any ancestors in entrepreneurial like endeavors at all when you were growing up?
0: Um, My Yes and no. My dad was an accountant and he worked for some pretty big companies. Um, And then I think he had enough. And so he started his own accounting practice. It was never huge. He just did it on his own, but that I think was first. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom, when she did decide to go back to work, once we were old enough, she was a court, not a, she would take stenographer's notes and type them up onto pages. And she would do that at home. She had like this little closet in her bedroom. And I remember I would come home from high school and she'd be there typing away and she would stop for a few seconds to say hello to me and then go back to it. So I guess in a way that's mm-hmm. kind of, but that's that's the most of it.
1: Hmm. So I mean, it kind of brings me brings me to a point. So like when you were younger, you were saying that you had difficulties dealing with like stress to a certain a certain extent. Did you see your parents have difficulties dealing with stress? Is that something that that maybe it was nurture versus nature? Like how did you think you got to the point to where you didn't know how to deal with the stress versus now you could handle it and you know what to do?
0: Um. I think it was all middle child syndrome because when I've had conversations with my brothers, they their upbringing like you would think they were raised in another house. So I don't know, essay, if you've ever had conversations like that with your siblings, but it's interesting. It's you know the little brother always the youngest is always the perfect, no matter what he did, he was perfect. And my older was the guinea pig, and and I think um, you know that was tough. I I do have vivid memories of my. Parents and brothers always telling me I was fat. I was ugly. I would never amount to anything. And it took me many, many years to just move on through that. Um, I don't I just think that as I grew up, I realized what I liked about myself, what I didn't like about myself. And and I'm okay with who I am now. I'm not perfect. You and I talked about it recently that I was inappropriate to someone. I could have been nicer, but it's behind me now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to your point about like siblings, I always say that I have split personalities. So I have my own internal siblings that I deal with because I'm the only child. But I kind of have like all three of the syndromes based upon the time frame when you ask me. Right. But to to your point, I mean, obviously the middle child is, is probably probably the most difficult. Point to what you said. You have an older one that's like the experiment, and then you have the younger one that's kind of like like the baby, and then you're in the middle watching the other two kind of get that that leverage. So definitely, it becomes a difficult thing, right? So that kind of then leads me into like your health, right? So obviously. You had mentioned something about like your parents saying that you were overweight. So is that part of the reason why you became such a health nut and you you became more of a vegan and you work out religiously? Is that where that came from? Was that just something that maybe you had like a a crisis to where you almost died? Like, how did you get to be so so much into health as you are right now?
0: Um, I've never been fat. That was, I believe, my family's low Mm self-esteem. I almost feel like my mom was jealous of my youth. Mm. And that's looking back, I think that's what that was. That being said, um, I just always enjoyed exercise. And now because I committed to a 90 day program of no excuses every single day, I kicked, I used to do maybe five days a week, six days a week, but now it's seven because I've committed to it and big deal to go from five days a week to seven days a week for 90 days, I can handle it, but I do love it. And whether I am walking or running or working out on the Oculus or golfing, I love it. Um, the eating I mean, I've been in OMAD IF, which stands for One Meal a Day Intermittent Faster for five or six years. I love it. You can't tell me I can't eat a carb. You can't tell me I can't eat dessert. You can't tell me I can't have a drink. But if you tell me I can just have it in a small window, that works. Although even that, I wasn't skinny. I mean, I'm not fat, but I'm not skinny. I'm kind of right in the middle. Um, So now I eat usually between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. And I've pretty much cut out processed sugar and gluten. And now I'm starting to lose weight again. And I feel good. And food is delicious. Like whatever I do eat is so yummy. I don't know. I, my taste buds are super. If it's not delicious, I can't even eat it. But the food that I do eat is so yummy.
1: Hmm, very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, th- that, that brings me up to, I mean, we're talking about food. We're, we're talking about like general routines. And I, the irony is, is like, I'm one of those people that I wake up like two o'clock in the morning, sometimes three o'clock. So my average is probably three to four o'clock every single morning. And usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll comment on something. I'll, I'll review something, write an article and post, but you're probably the only person that when I send a message to at two thirty in the morning on Facebook, you respond in five minutes. It's like, what are we doing up? And I'm like, I didn't realize you were up. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Responding to me at two thirty in the morning? So I want to talk about like, like, what is your morning routines look like? I mean, what time is that? The time you're going to bed, or are you waking up at that time?
0: Neither. So I come from a family of insomniacs, and most of the people in my family uh, medicate, but I'm kind of anti-pills. Uh, I don't take a pill for anything. So I, if I have insomnia, I just go with it. I'll fall asleep 10, 11, sometimes wake up two, three, and I forgive myself. I don't beat myself up about it. I'll get on social media sometimes. Sometimes I'll walk around the house. Sometimes I sleep in. That's one of the perks about working for myself, really. I and I'll go to the gym. My gym is super understanding about my insomnia. So they just, they're like, we don't care when you come because I should make an appointment because it's small training classes, but they forgive me and they say, we would just want you to come. So that's the insomnia story. But if if it's a perfect day of sleep, I'm falling asleep somewhere between nine and 10 and I'll wake up around five and I like to be at the gym no later than seven, but I got to play my Pokemon first and I do a coconut oil mouthwash for 20 minutes every morning, which makes my gums really healthy and my teeth really white. And so then I can get to the, and then I got to do my cardio and then I head out to the gym.
1: So you have a pretty strict routine to say the least, right?
0: I mean, it's fun. It's definitely, what do they say? I, I take care of myself. I, I self, what do they do? it? I forget. The, what's the words when you put yourself first before anybody else?
1: I mean, you just defined it just by saying that. Yeah. So. Yeah,
0: but I try and take care of myself first every day. It's not perfect. Today I didn't get to. Usually Thursdays I don't get to the gym because if I have to be on call at nine a.m., then I got to rush and stress. But but mostly every day I'm at the gym. Hmm.
1: Very cool. So my next question is, is obviously like you you have such a diverse personality, right? I mean the upbringing in New York, the film background, the textiles, the swag, all these different things. And I think you're more of like a hands-on kind of person, but do you or have you read any particular books that are like books that you would like to recommend to our audience?
0: I'm allergic to books.
1: Hmm. Are you an audiobook
0: listener? I've tried books. I've tried audiobooks. I don't know. Maybe it's because my business is so massive I mean, I probably have a 1000 clients. So and and I work with them how they want to work. So if they send me a text at two in the morning, because they wake up from a dream, and they're like, Oh, my God, Hildy, did I order this? Mm. Then whatever book I was listening to, I forget all about it. So for me, again, this 90 day thing, forcing me to listen to a podcast every day. That's kind of my new book.
1: So, how how since you've been listening to the podcast within the ninety day for? Well, I think it's only been like wait, two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Like have you seen not necessarily results, but do you see the benefits of listening to podcasts?
0: I'm not sure. Uh, there's very few that I've found where I feel that I have to listen to every single episode ever created. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like reading a book from cover to cover. And I think um, I guess the whole format of a podcast overall is the host asks pretty much the same questions of everybody. So when you hear those questions five times, okay, ten times, but by twenty, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to hear everybody's answer to the same question. So even podcasts are kind of. I can see after ninety days, there's so far I haven't heard one that has been so unique after 10 or 20 episodes that I would want to continue except like crime junkies or stuff like that, more story-based.
1: Hmm. So it would seems like if you got into more fiction, you probably get a better result than nonfiction. Maybe.
0: Hmm. Maybe.
1: Hmm. It's interesting. Right.
0: I've listened to the moth a little bit, but again, whatever it is, whatever the podcast is, because they're staying in their genre, it gets old for me after a while, whatever it is.
1: Yeah, which is is a conflict for podcasts. Cause I mean, consistency is what makes a podcast essentially valuable to a certain extent. But again, you kind of have to mix up your questions and kind of just get into the flow and let the person be themselves. So I can definitely see that I can see the monotonous of it, for sure. So with with that being said, right, well, like with being so monotonous with, with things being so systematically done with your company, where do you see it like 20 years from now? Is it something that You can then delegate to someone else. You can sell it as it is, as far as your book of business. What's your goals and aspirations for that?
0: So I know a guy who at 80 years old got into my industry. Hmm. And what's even funnier is his niche was funeral homes. And maybe he decided, oh, I'm going to do this. That way I'll know which funeral home I want to be buried. In. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I I do feel that I could do this till the day I die. Will my client base change? I, I can't imagine somebody coming out of college will want to work with an 80-year-old. But you never know. I mean, I'm pretty cool for a 60-year-old. Huh. So who knows? Um, but yes, there's an opportunity to either sell the book of business there's a small piece of me that hopes that my teenager will maybe in 20 years want to come in and I'll slowly give him my smaller accounts. And if he loves it, then I'll give, give it to him.
1: Hmm. I mean, it's interesting that it has that, that that value proposition associated to it, that, that way you can kind of give it down to descendants. And that's, that's what really business is about. It's like, you're going to create all this infrastructure, make all this revenue. And then if you decide when it comes down to it, who, do, who, do, who does it go to? Because, again, the business doesn't just stop because you stop. Right. So with that, right, so let's say prime example you're talking about, but your son, you talked about people coming out of college. If you can give them insightful words of wisdom on your industry, if they're deciding to get into it, what would those words be to kind of help them to influence them to say, you know what, I should try this and move forward with it?
0: Ah. Uh... So I guess, let me think about this. I think they'd have to look up Promo Kitchen mm-hmm. um, because I think that's the only education. Then we've got some um, uh, industry leaders. So there's ppai.org, which stands for Promotional Products Association something. So PPAI has some decent education. Um And I am happy to talk to anybody about the pros and cons. Look, for sure, the first couple of years, I barely made, you know, one cent an hour. But um, back then, I used to get swag and go into office buildings where it said no soliciting. And I would run into the front desk. I would drop off my little bag of swag and say, I'm not soliciting. I'm just leaving you a gift and run out the door. And that's how I got my feet wet. That and going to really big um, uh, conventions and trade shows where I would know by looking at a logo whether it would be something that would embroider well or not. And I would walk into the booth, which is again probably inappropriate, ask if the marketing person was there. And some of my clients to this day are I met that way by walking into the booth and saying, you know, let's give it a try.
1: Huh. I think you you wrote a, a really good point about like branding and about logos and if, if, if you could embroider it or not. So for the, for the general public that doesn't understand thread count, doesn't understand variables of colors, like strokes and all that, like what is something that you can kind of tell them to help them to realize if that logo could be embroidered or not?
0: Okay, well, let me all right, so first of all nobody nobody knows what this is, but this is called a pantone book, or for short it's p m s and this cost me a hundred bucks. But ultimately when somebody says their logo is red, uh, hello, there's like this many reds. Yep. So it's gotta be a Pantone color call out. And Essay, you're gonna be sad when I tell you this, but I'm kind of anti embroidery right now. It really feels very old fashioned. It really doesn't show a logo in its beauty. And these days I'm telling people to either laser or sometimes it's called deboss onto onto um, items. Or heat transfer. The heat transfers of today are not your mama's heat transfer where she's doing it on the ironing board and it peels off after one wash. It's beautiful. And if you look at Under Armour or Nike or any of the main brands, they're all doing heat transfers on everything. And it's upscale and vibrant and it makes sure that the logo isn't lost in threads. So I'm not going to answer your embroidery
1: question. Well, no, yeah. I mean, you upgraded it. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> I mean, you're the expert in, the, in that space. So you're saying like, you know, embroidery is not necessarily dead, but is old and heat transfers is, is the next generation. So if you're mm-hmm. going to do something like that, look into heat transferring. So I definitely appreciate that a hundred percent. So going into how do they find you? Like, I mean, obviously you give so much information, you're, you're, you're willing to deliver so much insight. How does someone get in contact with you?
0: So because my name is, super easy. It's six letters, H-I-L-D-E-E. You can go on Hildi.com and all my contact info is there. You can find me on TikTok. I'm really trying to build my uh, my base on TikTok, but I'm LinkedIn and I'm Facebook and I'm Instagram and I'm not good at Twitter, although I do. I've had a Twitter account for a long time, but Hildi.com is the easiest. I think if you Googled Hilde Isaacs, I would, or just Hilde, I think, I'm pretty much the only one. Everybody else spells it differently. Um, but people would contact me if they if they want my guidance as to how to get into the industry or if they know companies with 25 employees or more and they want to see if we're a good fit, I'm willing to talk to people. But this podcast was more about me having quality time with you, Essay.
1: Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. Definitely appreciate it. So going into like, I mean, you brought up the, the quality time thing. Right. And, and and I'm thinking if I could insert, I would think if you could spend 24 hours. Right. And and I would think by default, if you could spend 24 hours with anyone, you're probably going to say by default, you're, you're, you're Bobby. Right. You're, you're Bobby. Right. But but reality outside of her, who would you like to spend 24 hours with? That person could be dead or alive and you get to spend 24 hours uninterrupted with them.
0: So I thought about this because I've listened to enough of your podcast to know this question was coming. And um, it used to be my whole life. I always wished that I could meet um, Golda Meir, um, who was the like one of the first female presidents of Israel. But then I saw a documentary and she's a chain smoker. And there's no way I could be with somebody for 24 hours. It's chain, chain smokes. So... And after watching the documentary, I feel like I don't need to. So I Googled successful saleswomen and um looked around. I even like Googled successful Jewish salespeople and it was Jewish saleswomen. And nobody came like the head of Google, the head of YouTube. ew no that's not somebody i would spend but there is this one woman that i found and i'm going to try and reach out to her after this cuz she's she sounds amazing her name is Cynthia Barnes and she's got a podcast called unstoppable which i haven't listened to yet and she started the national association of women sales professionals and she seems to me to be somebody that after 24 hours with her i would be a better version of me huh.
1: Huh. I think that's definitely an interesting answer, which leads me to like like you said, a salesperson, right? So obviously you're great at sales, you like selling products, you like seeing the, the people light up when they receive their products. My next question is gonna be, would you still be doing what you're doing right now if there were not any monetary gains?
0: You mean if I had to earn a living?
1: Well, let's just, let's just, say, let's just say multi-millionaire, right now you're doing it because you love to do it. But if money wasn't a factor, would you still be doing what you're doing right now?
0: I would still be doing what I'm doing right now. I might fire a couple of clients, but most of my clients I've really curated and they're just amazing human beings. I do love what I do. Hmm.
1: Definitely. It's interesting. I mean, I definitely appreciate it. So, I mean, obviously going into closing, I think you would be a hell of a podcaster. So I'm going to give you opportunity to become the host of the Boston cage podcast. You're now the host. I'm now your guest. What questions do you have for me?
0: And if you think I didn't think about this, I you don't know me.
1: No, I know. I, I That's why I saved it for last. I, I really was going to say for last was your sense of humor. And I wanted you to do the joke that you did last night.
0: Oh, you like that? Yes. yes. I'm good. I'm good at jokes. All right. I did write down a few questions. We'll see how it works. Oh, shit. (laughs) Number one. (laughs) So thinking back, let's say elementary school or middle school, childhood memories. Is there something that replays in your head over and over again from your childhood that you're comfortable sharing with the audience?
1: I was a nerd. (laughs)
0: a story not what you were but like something that replays over and over
1: yeah yeah I mean it kind of goes back into the the, the, the whole nerd thing I mean it was me being um kind of what I grew up to be to a certain extent the guy behind the curtain being bashful being shy not outspoken which is weird because I'm the complete opposite of all those things right now so it's kind of like those things fed me to become who I am but, you know, in elementary school, I was just kind of like the dude in the back of the classroom. Middle school, I was the, the guy with the huge glasses, nerdy dude. I was, you know, titled Urkel for like forever. So all those things just kind of plays over and over again. It's like what kind of school education wise or who would I would have been if I am now being who I am now going back and being that person as a younger version of myself now. Like, you know, just being more outgoing, you know, I would go into like parties or rooms and I would just be the dude in the back of the room, like on the wall, not talking or communicating with anybody. Versus now, like when you and I, when we went to that, um, I think it was that anniversary party and you just work the room, you just talk to people, you communicate, you network. And I, and I look back and say, like, how many opportunities did I miss by not speaking? How many opportunities did I miss by not engaging with people? So that plays in my mind over and over again.
0: So you don't have one exact specific story.
1: Nothing I can think about because I mean, that, that was my entire, that was like five years of school, literally. That's okay. who I was.
0: Okay. All right, next question. Mm-hmm. Where did you have your last birthday dinner?
1: Birthday dinner, shit. Uh, you would ask a foodie that considering that like we, we eat pre- pretty much random places all the time. I can't remember the last like birthday dinner shit
0: I mean it's only once a year
1: yeah but I mean like you know, once you turn 40s like my, my like my birthday's kind of blend like I could tell you my favorite places but I don't I don't remember I, I remember like believe it or not having like my 30s like when my son was born and I used to have birthday parties for myself with him at Chuck E. Cheese. Like, those were, like, the ones that I remember. Because, you know, imagine a grown-ass man with damn balloons and a birthday cake and Chuck E. Cheese. Like, that's what I remember.
0: Okay, so your homework is in the show notes you got to write down. I asked my wife, and this is where we went for dinner last birthday.
1: Yeah, I mean, we go to so many different places, so it's just kind of, like, <laughs> it <piece> least together, man.
0: <laughs> okay. Inside of the state of Georgia, where is your favorite place to be outside?
1: Um favorite place in georgia i would say um blue ridge blue ridge pound for pound just because of like not only just the scenery just the like the, the like the terrain to be able to go hiking hit the river mountain biking go to a cabin i think blue ridge if i had to pick one place in georgia it would definitely be blue ridge it has pretty much everything that that i would like i mean it doesn't have an ocean but it has lakes and water and rivers
0: i love blue ridge too Uh, podcasts, do you tend to, when you get a new one to listen to, do you listen to it from the newest to the oldest, the oldest to the newest, or you just pick and choose?
1: So usually because I I interview podcasters to a certain extent, or business owners that have podcasts, I make it a a habit to jump in the middle somewhere. I don't go to their newest podcast because that's what's expected. And going back to the beginning is something that generally people do. So I kind of catch it off guard and I just kind of scroll through them. I look for a random keyword. It could be 10 episodes in, it could be 60 episodes down. And then I click play and I listen to that entire episode.
0: Okay. Are you ever listening to podcasts, not for research for your podcast, just because you enjoy it?
1: Um, yeah, I definitely enjoy podcasting, but it gets to the point to where I do so much of my own podcasting, it becomes a little bit difficult for me to listen to many podcasts. But if when I do listen to them, um, what is it called? How stuff works? Not, not, that was one of them. But it was um, How I Built This. How I Built This is, is like one of the longest running podcasts. But it's kind of part of the premise of why I'm doing Boston Cage is like that formatting of giving those entrepreneurs um a platform to kind of tell their stories. But for me, it's more so not necessarily household name brands, like everyone is searching for them. But it's the people that you may not even heard of that could potentially become that household name brand later on. Okay, I'll
0: have to check that one out. Last question. Hmm? What is one recipe you might want me to make for you one day? Uh,
1: Recipe. I would say. um, That's an interesting question. if a pad Thai, a pad Thai recipe, okay. I, I had to think about that, but I I think pad Thai would definitely be interesting to kind of see your your twist on it. And those that don't know, she's also part, part of my, my food group and I, I haven't even probably mentioned the food group on the podcast before, but she, we've got a food group event coming up um, pretty soon. So, and he um graciously offered to have hold this event at our house. So it's going to be like 50, 60 people at our house, all foodies eating, cooking and grilling all at the same time. So. I may be able to see that pad Thai happen in real life.
0: We'll see. Just depends on what the menu is uh, lacking.
1: Yep. 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 Well, I, I think this was definitely a fun episode. I think it's one of those things to where, you know, you network with someone, you meet someone with I think until you like interview them on a podcast. That's when you kind of really get to know them even more insightfully than you ever thought you could. I agree. Yep. Yep. So again, this is closing. I appreciate it. S.A. Grant. Over and out. 233 Boss. That's 762 233 2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a Boss and Cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off.
0: Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer.